Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Friday pod. It's Buckeye Talk. It's Doug. It's Nathan. It's Steven. And it's eight defensive players. We talked to 13 players in total on Wednesday on the late national signing day. It wasn't the guys who signed. It was the early enrollees plus two transfers. So it's 11 freshmen who are in now. And it's Demonte Trainum and Tanner McAllister who are transfers. So we talked about the five offensive guys on the Thursday pod. This Friday pod is the eight defensive guys. Three linebackers, two corners and a slot corner a defensive lineman, and a safety. And I want to start at linebacker because this is a crowded room. 13 guys, 12, 13 guys. Nathan, I know you updated the scholarship chart at cleveland.com. If you guys Google cleveland.com, Ohio State football scholarship chart, it'll pop up. Has it by position? Has it by year? We know how crowded this room is, but and it's Guys, it's hard. We know how it is. It's like on the Thursday pod, we were talking all about Devin Brown. And a year ago, we were talking about Kyle McCord the same way. And now it's like, oh, Devin Brown's a new guy. And it's like, ah, Kyle McCord, I don't know. Uh, he's an old five-star. Who cares about that guy anymore? You're always excited by the new recruits. That's the nature of the beast. It's fun to be that way. No offense to anybody else. But Nathan, I did maybe come away from these little interview sessions on Wednesday feeling like there might have been some answers to some linebacker questions in those interviews that I thought Trainum, Hicks, and Powers are new, but they're interesting. And in a world where, you know, listen, Cody Simon's a good player. Tommy Eichenberg played well at times, right? Steel Chambers is very interesting. We're not taking the current guys for granted, but I don't know, Nathan. I thought, I, 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 I don't know. I came away thinking these three guys could be even more in the mix I, or, or we thought they were in the mix. Maybe I didn't come away thinking like, Oh no, no, these guys are going to take time to ease in. We got to out over our skis. You know what I mean? What, what was your linebacker impression? And then we'll break them down separately. I didn't get a lot of time with powers. Um, but the other two, I think only confirmed things we were maybe already thinking Well, certainly in the case of Hicks, uh, you know, they've t- he said they're talking about him at will. 
And that was kind of where we thought maybe if he was going to play early this season, that probably made the most sense. And with Trainum, it's there's probably, I think, everyone a little bit of skepticism until you actually talk to him about, you know, why are you doing this at this stage? How ready are you to do this? And then when you you know, see him, you talk to him, you get the impression that this um, was a, a, a well thought out decision and that physically he certainly looks like he's close to being able to contribute at linebacker. You don't, it doesn't feel like there's a big gulf that he would have to close there. And, and again, I think as as steel chambers showed last year that you can still potentially close that gap pretty fast, even if you have to. All right, let's start with Hicks. I didn't, I didn't hear one word that CJ Hicks said, so I'll let you guys carry this. I I was hanging out with Jair Brown during that time. There's a big crowd around CJ Hicks. He's the top rated guy in this class, Steven. We know how important this guy is has been to this class. We know how potentially important he is to this roster. We know that he has a chance when you look at the recruiting rankings to be as impactful of a linebacker as Ohio state has seen in several years here. You know, people have a feel for CJ Hicks. What more did we learn anything on on Wednesday, Stephen, about this guy? That he gets that. uh, How can I put this? I think the big difference between this time around when the linebackers weren't very good and there's now a new position coach and how it's now versus how it's 2019, nobody has done enough over the past couple of years here to cement them in a spot that somebody can't come take it. Because even in tw- in 2019, like Tough Borland has been a two year starter. No, I know. And I don't, I don't, I'm not, we know right. The reason I'm yeah. saying all that is, that's how CJ Hicks is thinking. Like, yes, Steel Chambers was pretty decent last year. Uh, Cody Simon had moments, but none of them have enough proven stake there that he can't come take a job. And that's how he's using this this spring and this fall camp. Now, if it doesn't happen, that's fine. He's still just a freshman. He understands that. But there is this idea that this is very much open for grabs in a way that even when you do get new position coaches, there, there's nobody slated and penciled in anywhere and he can come in here and take a spot. So that's how he's approaching this. So he's talking about that. Yeah. Like, again, listen, a, a lot of the, you know. Everybody like can't say it the same way, though. Yeah. And yes. That's what you're getting. There's there's a difference between like saying, oh, I want to come in and start as a freshman because everybody thinks they want to do that versus like, oh, I want to come in and start as a freshman. And there's a legitimate chance for me to do it the same way there was for Paris Johnson when we were asking him all those questions. I was at that point. There had been no spring, no fall. So it was a legitimate question to ask, hey, is he going to start over Nicholas Petit-Frere? The same thing is at play here. Did you get a similar vibe, Nathan, in terms of his belief in how realistic this might be? Yeah, but I think, again, it's it's the caveat of anytime you're coming in as a true freshman, I, there's the, I don't know, how, how fully confident can you be in that? I think he it's more about the opportunity than the end result. But I think the opportunity is, is clearly there and not just because of Ohio state's roster though, because of what he is. Because, well, that's the thing. Yes. Yeah. Because, because he is a guy that um, um, I think both physically and um, mentally, however you want to characterize it is maybe a little bit more advanced than the average guy that's coming in, but physically is the important part. And that'll get born out here in the spring, whether or not he's physically ready to, to push those guys. So how did he express that? Like, does he, did, was he talking about 
how he studies film? Was he talking about like how strong he thinks he is right now? Was he talking about the conversations he's already having with Ryan Day about the, what their expectations are from him? If, if he is expressing an, a belief that he can play immediately, why does he think it? Well, I mean, as far as like conversations that they're having with this, th- those conversations aren't really happening yet. I don't think. I mean, again, the staff has mostly been gone. They've just get, gotten back this week, so I don't think it's it's necessarily that. It would have to have been conversations that he'd already had, um, more more so than anything that's gone on. I think here in January. Yeah, it's, uh, from I'll, I'll say that. What do you the... say? <laughs> what do you say? What does he, he is? I want to. I, I didn't. I didn't talk to him for one second. I want to know what he, he was talking about. Maybe he, I'll just say. You guys say the five most interesting things CJ Hicks said and tell the world because I'm interested in hearing it. I think the most interesting thing he was talking about is the moment he found out Jim Knowles was going to be the coach is he started in throwing himself into that film and seeing where he was in that defense. And he brought up Malcolm Rodriguez's name and the fact that he had 129 tackles as their will linebacker and seeing himself in that. And then the short conversations he's had with Jim Knowles, even if they are short because he's been on you know, the recruiting trail, but it's the fact that like he, quickly turned his approach to, okay, how do I fit into Jim Knowles' defense and how can I maximize myself? And the fact that he's studying Malcolm Rodriguez that way as a true freshman, that's not, I mean, it's one thing to just try to get an idea of a defense It's because you're a true freshman, so you're not completely blindsided. It's another thing to basically throw yourself into another player's shoes because that's how you envision yourself playing in this defense. So CJ Hicks, 6'3", 215, uh, in the sports, like all-time team rankings for recruits. CJ Hex is the 15th highest rated Ohio State recruit ever in this in this era, right? The highest linebacker, a uh, couple spots ahead of Baron Browning with his ranking as a five-star. Again, number seven player in this class, according to 247 Sports. Nathan, are we headed toward, because here's the thing. It, it feels like this guy's got the physical stuff and the intangible stuff, right? Which is the same thing. Who does that remind you of? Who's the guy recently that Ohio State couldn't stop talking about the intangible stuff? How smart he is, how hard he works, what a leader he is. Court Williams. And we've been waiting for, are we headed towards a Court Williams, CJ Hicks battle at Will Linebacker? Because we just won two podcasts ago. We just said the comparison for Court Williams is Malcolm Rodriguez. Now CJ Hicks is studying Malcolm Rodriguez. I, I, well, I would also say, though, that I don't know that anybody gets talked about the way Court Williams gets talked about by this coaching staff. Even I haven't really heard that even yet about C.J. Hicks. It feels like Court Williams is another level, maybe also because Court Williams wasn't the same level of recruit or same prospect that C.J. Hicks was. He was a little bit farther down the list. I mean, I, yeah, possibly. I, I could see those guys being both in the mix at that position. I think what what one of the things that resonated with me with Hicks, though, was that, again, going back to this conversation about the re- how realistic is your chance to play as a freshman? There, there were a couple of things. Number one, I think he recognizes maybe the path to get there is re- instead of it just being a sort of speculative thing. He said that he had sought out Denzel Burke, had sought out Trevion Henderson, and had some conversations with those guys about what it takes to get on the field as a freshman. And then also, you know, these guys get sort of paired up in in situations and as i was talking about yesterday that sometimes i think the the winter this early enrollee period can be these first couple weeks can be a bit of an eye-opener he said his weight room partner was tommy eichenberg and that that was kind of an eye-opener for him that that to be with a more veteran guy and a, a guy who is i think say whatever you think of tommy eichenberg as a linebacker i think physical is certainly something that um deserves to be associated with him and that that seeing kind of his approach to the weight room and seeing what it's going to take to kind of 
perform at this level, I think has also been a bit of an eye opener. So those things both kind of maybe are getting him off on the right kind of start to be able to realize what we've been talking about the whole time with him, that the talent is there. It's just a matter of how quickly it happens. And it, it just happens to coincide. You know, a lot of times we'll talk about these five-star guys as like, well, if he, if he were to hit as a freshman, that would be a real bonus for Ohio state, but he doesn't necessarily have to. I'm not so sure that there is a more urgency with Hicks that the opportunity and the need are significant enough that if he could hit as a freshman, it's going to make maybe a big impact. Do we think he's going to play as a freshman? He'll play. I think he'll play. Yeah, he'll play. How, so we'll get to Gabe Powers in a second because Gabe Powers is also talking about the will. Is the battle at will Court Williams, CJ Hicks, Cody Simon? Like, and maybe even some kind of, they all play? Like, are those, are those three guys? I think he said Steele was there too at will. Yeah, yeah have to do would have to be in the mix. I mean, yeah. Um, and I, it's probably too early to for sure say Court Williams at linebacker, but I think it's realistic. We just said your feelings were hurt the other day because we didn't say Court Williams at linebacker. Now we're all in on Nathan Barrett and Court Williams at linebacker. I said it's a possibility, but you're asking about whether or not there's a competition there. We don't know for sure that he's even there. Court Williams is going to give everybody on this podcast an aneurysm. <laughs> Court Williams is going to, his fingers are going to start bleeding from retweeting how much people think he should be in the mix to start at linebacker. Okay. So, so we're believing in CJ Hicks. Uh, a lot of guys got questions about like, how much do you weigh now? What do they want you to weigh? What was the vibe on like, if CJ Hicks is saying like, Hey, Tommy Eichenberg is making me realize, man, you, you've got to get after it in the weight room here. Does he have to grow a lot? You know, when we're talking about Devin Brown, Devin Brown was like, Oh yeah, I got to gain 20 pounds. Got to gain 17 pounds by the spring game. It was like, oh, my God. Did CJ have any words on that? I didn't get any specific numbers. Did you hear any specific numbers on him? Uh, no, I didn't hear specific numbers on him. Ohio State has him listed at 215 right now. That's on their website, but that's probably not accurate right now. But, no, he didn't give any specific numbers. But just looking at him in person and obviously seeing him at other times, I would assume he'd need to put a little bit of muscle on, even if he's still playing at 215, 220. All right, so let's – but uh, impressed, intrigued, C.J. Hicks, like what was it like just like hand, handling his business? We talked a lot about like Devin Brown seemed very comfortable with 30 reporters around him. C.J. Hicks had a, probably the biggest crowd of the defense. How was C.J. in that moment? Comfortable. Yeah. He's used to it. He's just not – I think Devin Brown is a more like goofy, as he said, outgoing personality. C.J.'s got a more serious personality. But, yeah, he seemed pretty comfortable. I mean, frankly, another guy that he reminded me of was Court Williams, like a guy who is maybe a list like serious is probably the right way to say it. More business like approach to it. Um, just a kind of a seriousness of purpose that comes through with him, even in these early interviews. OK, Gabe Powers in the mix at the same spot again, uh, CJ Hicks, the number seven overall player in the class of 2022. Gabe Powers, the overall number 100 player. He's the number eight linebacker. Hicks was the number one linebacker. Gabe Powers said he's at 215 right now, and they would like him up to like 225 or so by the spring game. So he's got a little weight to put on. He doesn't look like a linebacker as much because, and he said, like, I was kind of skinny um, growing up. He's 6'4". I yeah. mean, he's, he, he's an interesting prospect. And... It's one of these things and people, a lot of people have written this story and people know this story. It's like his dad is a linebacker. 
His dad had like an NFL tried out a linebacker. His dad has been a linebacker and defensive coach in high school football forever. So like, that's why Gabe Powers is a linebacker. I don't, I don't know that if you looked at him at six, four and there, you know, at, at two fifteen right now, if you'd say, well, that guy's a linebacker, it's like, well, he's a linebacker on the inside for sure. Is he a linebacker on the outside? He's got to grow into it a little bit. I'm not doubting the guy at all, but it's like an interesting story, Stephen. Again, that's been documented, but the result is this guy's saying, like, I was at two days with my dad when I was in third grade. I was like hitting the blocking sled when I was in third grade. This guy's watching film with his dad through elementary school about how to play linebacker. He feels like he really knows how to play linebacker. And one of the things that I, I think people some of the criticisms or questions about the linebackers for Ohio state recently have been like, are they reading the right keys? Are they reacting to the right things? Are they hitting the right gaps? And it's the typical son of a coach kind of stuff, but this is specifically the son of a linebackers coach. Like this kid was born to play linebacker and now he's here physically. Again, I don't know that he looks big, you know, thick enough to play college linebacker right now, but he's going to be, ready in terms of understanding the game. So no surprise from Gabe Powers. I spent a decent amount of time with him. Were you there at all with uh, Gabe, Stephen? Yeah, I spent like the first five or 10 minutes there. I I agree with that. His frame is interesting and watching his physical development over the next year and a half is I think the most interesting thing about him because he's really skinny right now, but he's really skinny in a way that screams, you can put on 25 to 30 pounds and still be effective, which is why I've we've constantly talked about the idea of him maybe ending his career on the defensive line or in this Leo Jack position because of that. Or does he just get back up to 225 and he stays at linebacker? Because you're right, because he has all that knowledge, he would be a very good linebacker for Ohio State. I'm just not all the way sure he's going to end as a linebacker. And I have wonder if I could keep the weight off and slide back to like boundary safety. Yeah, you know, like I, I, I don't know. Yeah, he, 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 I don't. He's not that type of. Not, I don't know if he's a safety type space. athlete. This isn't a Sam. That's not a Sam Hubbard situation. I do think like if he's if he's in the back seven, it's going to be linebacker for sure. Okay, but maybe that maybe that rush end stand up spot. Yeah. That, again, we've talked about maybe down the line. It's like, well, you got some ends to put there now. Maybe in two years from now, you when yeah. you're figuring stuff out and you've started recruiting to that position differently he did say tim may ask him a question about how uh it looks like when you watch him on film that he sort of explodes at the point of contact that he really understands sort of how to like you know not throw his body but like torque and like lining yourself up and getting in position to be able to explode into a ball carrier and he said i have a kill mentality again this is like this is a this guy is like has been bred to be a linebacker so of the three linebackers we talked to on Wednesday and train them, we'll get to next Gabe powers just because he's got some weight to put on seemed to me like the least likely to play like right now. But Nathan, it's interesting. Like I, for a room that it's like, man, this room could use some help. I thought it was an interesting collection of three dudes and Gabe powers fits right in there as a guy who understands the position and you don't have a ton of linebackers who are six, four and have this kind of experience. So I could see how this could work out. Yeah, it's, I mean, you don't have a ton of linebackers that are that, but you do have a ton of linebackers. Like this team is just loaded with linebackers. And I was thinking about someone like, um, when I was talking to Gabe Powers 
I was thinking of someone like Reed Carrico. Like we've been having more or less the same conversations with him a year ago, a guy who then didn't play very much as a true freshman. And now I'm wondering how those guys, it, it, it might be a couple years before those guys rotate into the front because you do have now some other options, whether that's Hicks coming in, whether it's these veteran guys, training them who we're about to talk about did not really have specificity between Will or Mike where he might fit in. So th- that seems wide open. I mean, you've got a, a confluence right now between all of this talent that's just sort of stacked up in there. And then it's, it's hard to ask them questions or for them to give you accurate answers really on exactly where they're going to fit in. Cause there is still just some moving parts as to how they're setting this up. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's one of those things, the will and Mike stuff at this point, it's like, you can, they figure it, it out. They'll get the two best linebackers on the field. And it may be more interchangeable now than it's ever been. I mean, it was Will and Mike were always pretty interchangeable, yeah. but I mean, you have somebody who's got to maybe call some signals and stuff, but I, I they'll, they'll figure that out. He did say uh, he likes the aggressiveness of Jim Knowles and he seems like an aggressive guy, right? That he, he does want to knock people around a little bit. It's like, who's your favorite linebacker? He said, Ray Lewis. It's like, okay, you're, you are a physical linebacker who wants to hit people again for all these guys. Like, he said the Al Washington thing was like kind of a shock because Al Washington's been all over this guy like forever, Stephen. Right? Like this is like yeah. one of Al Washington's prize recruits. When you think about Al Washington's three years here, this is a top 100 player in Ohio. But again, who was going to go to Ohio State no matter what? Because it was like you had this great relationship with Al Washington. You were shocked. It was like, did it make you hesitate at all? He's like, oh no, no, not at all. Like he. He'd come play for Ronald McDonald as a linebackers coach. He was going to be a Buckeye no matter what. But this guy still got to know Al Washington for two years, and now he's not going to play for him. Al Washington brought four top 100 linebackers to Ohio State during his time here. Three are from Ohio, and Cody Simon is the only one who ever took a meaningful snap for him the entire time. And with 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 C.J. Hicks and Gabe Powers, he's the only person they talked to because he's the one that offered them made first contact, spent with the entire time with him, built his class, and now he's gone. So, yeah, this is – welcome to college football, C.J. Hicks and Gabe Powers. Well, the way Hicks described it was they had a meeting where Al Washington said something to them about the linebackers are going to shock the world, and then the next day he was gone. It did and shock the world. <laughs> Just not know what he was talking about. <laughs> well, I think he was talking about not tomorrow. He was talking about, like, down the road. And – and I asked train him about that. And he said, yeah, we found out the same way everybody else did. Cause I was trying to find out, like, I think it's, it's an important point of like, okay, if you're Ryan day and you're, you're jostling the, the staff like this, like how was that communicated to the players? Like, did they have to have a, an, another meeting the next day and, and train them kind of intimated that maybe it wasn't that formal, that it was just like, you know, people understand it's a business and you know, you already have your off season plan that you're working on and they just went back to work individually the next day. And um, obviously Jim Knowles was already coming in as the DC at that point, had a linebacker experience. Maybe that was communicated to them and he was going to be taking over the linebackers. So, um, but still like it's, we, 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 <laughs> the, all of this transition that's happened, I think we've looked at it exteriorly as far as like where a guy's going to line up on the staff and stuff. It probably jumped right over a little bit what that impact is for the players. But I think there does seem to be some, some real enthusiasm for Knowles and the secondary guys and the people that day is brought in to replace the ones who left. I mean, it is one of those things though. It's like, it's the nature of the thing, but it's like when, when the coach is here, we talk about how important relationships are. And then when you wind up having to play for somebody you've never met because the coach who recruited you for two years got fired, everybody says, well, it's a business. It's like, well, 
Right. It wasn't a business for two years when you were making your decision based on relationships. And I'm not saying that about the 18 year olds. I'm saying it about this freaking business, right? That it's like, everybody's like, the most important thing is how you relate to people. You're fired now relate to this other stranger the same way. And it's like, oh, well, you got to do what you got to do. And it's, a little, it's a different wrinkle too. When, when uh, and I don't think any of these guys were going to back out of their commitments if they had fired them before signing day. Um, or if they had left before signing day, but it is, I think a little bit different when like you signed and now you arrive on campus and that guy is here, that guy is in your meetings. Like he's having meetings with you and then he's gone. Like that's a little bit of a different wrinkle to it too. Sports but are again, funny the- it's the only place where you find out your boss is no longer your boss on social media. I don't know if CNN people might, I might've found out that Jeff, Jeff Zucker I mean, was it, out on, on, the, on yeah, social media too. That's a little different though. <laughs> The, I mean, the one thing is like these three linebackers we're all talking about, they're all from Ohio. So like it didn't matter. There's there's not a guy in this linebacker because Trainum's coming home. There's not a guy in this room that it was like, oh, you know, Al Washington went and got this player out of Idaho. And the guy was like, I don't want to leave Idaho. And Al Washington was like, I'll be here for you. And then it was like, I had one meeting with him. So that like, again, I think the bottom line is Trainum, Hicks, and Powers all wanted to come to Ohio state, regardless of who the linebackers coach was. So then it, it, it at least, it doesn't feel like any of those individual players are like getting screwed by the reality of this. Cause they're still happy with their choices. All right. Let's talk about train them. Who this was, I thought I find like, this is my favorite thing from him. He, he went to Arizona state. I was like, Oh, Arizona state. Nice campus. Huh? He's like, Oh yeah. Nice campus. And I was like, oh, isn't your family excited for you to be coming back to Ohio? And he's like, man, my family moved to Arizona when I went to Arizona State, and they're staying. So yes. now, now they can't watch him play because his mom and his siblings and his grandparents live in Arizona, and they're staying there. And it's like, well, actually, that makes sense. That's what Ari Wasserman did. Like Ari Wasserman's family like was from Ohio. They moved to Arizona, and that was it. Now they're the Wassermans of Arizona. It's hard to come back from Arizona sometimes, man. But he came back for the football, but they, Nathan, that just cracked me up of like, you're coming home. It's like, yeah. you're going home by yourself. Yeah. I think he said mom's mom's sister, grandma, great grandma and uncle. So like literally like his entire immediate family and then some moved to Arizona. But um, I, I, I don't know. I think that's how I would probably do it too. move to Arizona and then just come back eight times a year for home games or, or whatever. And maybe you're, and then when they play in the Fiesta bowl in the playoff, maybe you're, you're right there. It's right there in your backyard. So um, it, it is funny how that worked out. And, you know, he almost came to Ohio state out of high school. He said it was really Ohio state, Arizona state. Um, it sounded like Arizona state was guaranteeing him that he would fit at running back. And he wasn't ready to give up the ball. As he said, like he, he, you know, scoring touchdowns, like there's really no other feeling like that the way he described it. And he wasn't ready to give that up coming out of high school. But for whatever reason, after having this kind of bug in his ear the last couple of years, he, he was persuaded that it was time to make the jump. So now, again, he's jumping into this pretty crowded situation and running back. I think somebody asked him if he if it was possible for him to move back to running back if needed. And he was like, oh, we haven't talked about that. But it, it just becomes another flexible roster piece, potentially. But it sounds like. You know, he's committed to linebacker. Ohio State wanted him all along, probably as a linebacker when they were recruiting him out of high school. And um, I'm I'm more intrigued by him after yesterday than I was going into that or after Wednesday. Uh, I, 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 it, I was 
I don't know. It just, I know that it worked with steel chambers. I thought it was just kind of, it was odd. It was, to me, there was some, it, it was kind of an odd for Ohio state with as many people as it already has at linebacker. I thought it was an odd decision for him. Cause he was going to potentially play a lot at running back at Arizona state. But after talking to him, after seeing him, um, it, it makes more sense. So now it's just a matter of, again, fighting your way through that crowded room to get a, a, a two deep spot or, or whatever, and how all these bodies are going to fit in rotationally or, or whatever under Jim Knowles. I was with him a decent chunk of time, and I didn't think to ask this. I don't know if anybody else asked this, but Arizona State's program is on fire right now. I don't know if that could they Half their assistant coaches just got whacked because they allegedly potentially committed NCAA violations during the pandemic. I don't know if Herm's going to be in trouble at some point. Like the guy running the recruiting operation is like out along with a bunch of other dudes. It also might be like, you know what? I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not blind. I'd get out too. Like why it's like, I need this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He didn't specifically say that, uh, but it, one thing he did say, and I thought this was a good question was, um, at he went into the portal with an open mind positionally that he didn't go into the portal as a running back. And then people had to convince him to be a linebacker that he just kind of went in the portal. And I think again, that, that idea of playing linebacker had always been in his mind. He said people during workouts the last couple of years had always been saying to him like, Hey, maybe you should be on defense. And uh, when Ohio state reached out and still had that interest in him as a linebacker, that's where he made the jump there. But so that told me that that probably, that you were just ready to get out of town regardless. Well, I do think that seems to be like a good use of the portal almost of like, well, I'll go in because mm-hmm. you can always come out, you know, like your guys have gone in and come back out. It's like, go in. And it's like, ah, nobody really got in touch. This probably is my best spot here. It's like, oh, go in. I could be either. We'll see what happens. It's like Ohio state calls. And it's like, we want you as a linebacker. It's like, oh, I guess I'm transferring. And it felt like that happened for him that if, you know, if he had not gotten the offer from Ohio State to be a linebacker, who knows what he would have done. But it felt like that's what he was looking for. You know, in his heart of hearts, I don't even know, like, again, man, God, I should ask him that. It's like, what were you hoping for in the portal? I mean, I, it feels like maybe, Nathan, that like his number one thing was like, well, I'm hoping I get an offer from Ohio State. And then he did. And then it was like, well, they want me as a linebacker. Okay, let's do it. Like, I'm ready to do this. I, I felt like maybe he wanted to be here eventually. But what? Yeah. He, he had kept an eye on Ohio State that whole time. I mean, being an Ohio guy and it being such a visible program. And I think um, it, it, if I was an athlete like that, I would kind of be wondering, like, you're probably hearing, like, boy, Ohio State's got some problems at linebacker. And you're probably thinking, like, I could have been that linebacker. And now he right. can be. Shout out to Matt Gould, our great high school writer at Cleveland.com, because uh, he was like, hey, you guys know Matt? And I was like, yeah, we know Matt. So Matt had covered the heck out of him <laughs> at uh, Archbishop Hoban and and – he remembered it and he's chip, by the way. I guess I'm just gonna he, like I think I said this on the other part. Like he's chip. His nickname was blue chip, and then it got shortened to chip, which also brings up like he could have been blue train him. Like you're my boy blue, kind of, but like chip, chip is better. So chip train him, chip train him. It is. And he says he's to talk about all this, like, hey, you got to gain, you got to lose. How do they want to reshape your body? He said he's 228 right now, and he said that's good. So that interested me of like, he was a linebacker at Arizona State. He got to, excuse me, he was a running back at Arizona State. He gets to Ohio State and it's like, well, how do you have to reshape your body? And they're like, hey, you don't, you're ready. That, I don't know, Stephen, like I, like looking at him, it was a little bit of a neck moment. I might, I might call him shoulders train him. Like it was a little bit of a, when you look at somebody and you think that looks 
right to me. And right. I mean, it's one of those things like, oh, yeah, this running back from Arizona State is going to come in and be a linebacker from Ohio State. And then you see him and you talk to him. And Stephen, like the reality of it, like increased tenfold to me once you saw him and talked to him. Because A, I just thought he looked ready. And B, no offense to the 18-year-olds in that room, this guy was like a man. And you could tell the difference. He's 20. He knows how to handle his business. He's incredibly focused. He's incredibly mature. I felt like I was talking to another 48-year-old guy talking to him in the best possible way. When I call it, when I, if I ever call somebody a 48-year-old, that's only a compliment. I don't know, Stephen, like this. Again, I think skepticism is warranted, this kind of switch. But he seems real physically and mentally and emotionally and what he's looking for here, that all seemed real to me. I think him being older and having been through college college program the last two years might be why he's a little bit more physically ready. But also, he was a pretty big running back. I, I just looked at uh, uh, Arizona State's roster last year. Their running backs are all 190, 215, 210, 200. He was 235. So he he was already a, a, a big boy as a running back. So he probably did need to make the flip over to linebacker where it's like, oh, no. At that size, you're good. So yeah, I, I do think, but I do think the fact that he's been in college for a couple of years, and when we're comparing him to CJ Hicks and Gabe Powers, he's been through the the physical development a little bit. So he probably is a little bit more ready to go, and that's what Ohio State's looking for when they go into the transfer portal. They're not looking to develop you; they're just looking to see if you're good enough to play for them right away, and that goes with the physical development. So there's going to be obvious comparisons to the Steel Chambers situation here. Steel Chambers clearly was a very a good linebacker at times for Ohio State in the second half of last season. He wound up playing more than anybody else once he really made that transition. But he said, Nathan, he said, I want to revolutionize, 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 revolutionize. He said it better than I did. The linebacker position. And there's a, my instinct at the moment, having never watched him play football, but to him and looking at him is sort of like if Steel Chambers could do it, I think this guy could do it. Like, is, is that sort of where you came away from? Because it, I, I, this guy's size, his frame almost, how do I, I, what Steel Chambers did last season blew me away. I can't believe it happened. I still can't believe it. I, I doubted it the whole way. Is he, not that he was going to switch, but that it would matter, that he would make an impact on this roster. Yeah. Incredible credit to Steel Chambers. But Chip Tranum looks more like a linebacker to me than Steel Chambers does. Steel Chambers a little bit still felt like a running back who's going to try to play linebacker. Chip Tranum looks like a linebacker who dabbled with running back for a couple of years. And that just might be a five-second impression, but that's why, that's why it feels more real to me right now after Wednesday. Ohio State's just at this juncture where – because – the reason we were so skeptical of steel chambers almost had nothing to do with steel chambers. It was like, well, wait a second. He's just now getting started. So is he really better than Taraja Mitchell? Is he really better than Dallas Gant and Kayvon Pope? And the answer was, yeah, I guess apparently because those guys didn't play or those guys got nudged aside eventually. Um, is he even really better than a true freshman like Reed Carrico, who was a top 100 prospect coming in? Like, is he really better ready to play? And yeah, the answer was yes. So I think again, Ohio state's just at this juncture where it kind of needs to figure out, I, I still think, though, you need real linebackers who establish themselves as ready to play. It just still feels like a weak spot of this defense if if you don't have that. 
And to some extent, I think that that needs to start developing again this year. That's not really a slight. I don't mean that as a criticism of Steel Chambers or Diamante Chip Trainum in any way, because I think they are legitimately, you know, trying hard and doing everything they can to help this team. But just as far as a roster construction um, concept, I think you have to have real linebackers who play like real linebackers eventually. I think there's a difference between I've seen other programs do this where you're, you're like you're essentially a converting safety like athletes to play linebacker for you. I think the key is finding linebackers who are athletic enough to do the things that safety needs to do for you sometimes. And Ohio state doesn't really have that right now. Well, they're getting there though. I mean, that's what CJ Hicks is, is supposed to be right. Right. And that's but I'm what talking Gabe about Powers 2022. No, I know. Well, I, right. But we're trying to figure out like, who's going to play right now. I, I don't think we're not. That's what I'm talking about. Well, you, no, you talked about how they all their linebackers need to get better. I'm trying to ask you think like, does Chip Trainum have a chance to like impact this team in 2022? And your answer was, I guess their linebacker play long term needs to improve. My so, answer is the same as it kind of is with Steel Chambers, which is like, maybe he'll play a lot, but does that mean Ohio State's getting the linebacker play that it needs? Because Steel Chambers did some good things for this this past year. He wasn't like an all conference level linebacker, right? Right. Right. That was. St- there was still a deficiency of this team at the on this team at linebacker play and so it it, to me it's not a yes maybe he can get on the field but there's there's a lot of candidates at linebacker to get on the field and I don't think we have a lot of clarity right now kind of like we didn't going into last year as to which ones are actually good enough to raise the level of play on this defense in 2022 I have no I have no question that CJ Hicks will be a good football player in the long run, maybe even by the end of 2022, but as far as who's lining up, who are the best linebackers to line up on the first day uh, on the, on opening day against Notre Dame. I think there's a gap right now in our knowledge. Like it, it, it's hard to see that partially also because I don't know that we have a great grasp on what Jim Knowles wants at linebacker yet. There's a gap in our knowledge. Buckeye talk. I do. It's also one of those, um, you know, on the, on the, uh, College Football Survivor Show, the Tuesday show this week, we're talking about, again, freshmen who maybe could play right away in 2022. And you're looking at, like, some of the freshmen who played for good teams in 2021. Maybe I mentioned this. Like, Junior Colson at Michigan was, like, the number 10 linebacker in the country last year and played a lot for Michigan this year. And Reed Carrico was one spot ahead of him and, like, didn't play at all for a team that, like, needed linebacker help. And that's not – that's not a criticism. It's just a fact, right? And so, like, well, why did Junior Colson play a lot for Michigan? Is it because they didn't have anybody else and they had, they needed him to play? Well, Ohio State didn't have anybody. They're converting running backs to play linebacker. Or you just evolve on your own timelines. But like, to your point, of course we don't know right now. But I guess Hicks, we all agree, feels very possible to play a significant role or at least a real role for the Ohio State defense in 2022. Powers probably needs a year to get bigger, even with his background and that kind of thing. But Steven, like I'm coming away with from chip train. I'm thinking like I could see it that if I'm trying to think like, all right, this room has like 13 guys in it right now. Who are like the big six? If I'm trying to think like, who are the five or six. And then you got to narrow that down to two or three or four. But it's like, ah, give me six guys that are the top six in that room. I might put him in there. I might put Chip Trainum in there now. I put CJ Hicks in there too. But again, some of it is we've already seen some of these guys, to, which is sort of the, to your point, Nathan. It's like 
Nobody's really established anything, but we've sort of seen what some of these guys can do. We haven't seen what him, what he can do. And there's enough uncertainty here that the uncertainty around Chip Trainum might be a plus for him because it's like, well, it's certainly possible. He's as good as anybody they have here. Do you agree, Stephen, with the general idea of like, maybe we should have Chip Trainum in the might play group of guys? Yeah. Yes. Because he's a man. He's a yes. man. He's a man. He's and 20. That, that, he's a man. He's 20. It is an interesting contrast in those interviews to have all the guys who are coming in for their first, like, and then you've got Trainum and McAllister, and McAllister's 22 or whatever, and Trainum's 20. So these guys do have a couple years on all these quote unquote kids that are, are coming in. But even the guys that we have seen some things from, like Cody Simon, we saw some things this year when he played all season with an injury. So even him, like, I don't know if we have the full picture of him. So I, it, it's just an intriguing position here. These uh, for between now and August. And I, I, on one hand, you'd almost like to say, well, when you've got that many bodies, maybe you could like mix it up a little bit, but Knowles is the foundation of what he does defensively is unpredictability. And I think once you start platooning like that, like, oh, these are like early down linebackers. These are late down. You make yourself a little bit more predictable. So I don't think that's going to work. I think you've got to find two guys who you trust for three downs and and get them out there. And it's going to be a kind of a a fascinating process to watch as they look for those two guys. I mean, nickel linebackers are normal. I, I think you could have a nickel line, you can, but you can't have well, yeah, five but guys. Also, but I'm, well, but also, first and second down, like you, yeah. But also, if they're going to be that aggressive, I mean, he might just rotate guys anyway for the sake of being fresh. If he's sending linebackers on blitzes every other play, if 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 now the the, yeah, the caveat being that if you have like four guys who are very similar athletically, yeah, then that right. Again, are you and, and then it's are you rotating from strength or are you rotating from weakness? Are you rotating mm-hmm. because you have so many good guys they all got to play? Are you ro- rotating because man, we're not there's no clear star here. We may as well play six guys, and it's a big difference. So uh be intri- be intrigued by those guys. I thought it was for a question with the room with a lot of questions. I thought most people would have come away from talking to those three linebackers and been like, okay, okay. All right, I can see how this can get better. And again, that but that starts with CJ Hicks, which everybody already knew. All right, quick break. We'll come back and talk to I'm gonna do Caden Curry first and then get into the corners. Next on Buckeye Talk. Back on Buckeye Talk. Uh found out something you guys can be looking for at cleveland.com slash OSU in the next day or two is a senior bowl interview one-on-one with Tyreek Smith. Our Mary Kay Cabot is down there and she talked to Tyreek. She said she really enjoyed speaking with him. We talked about how he was one of the guys who has a chance to flash a little bit. And uh, that was um, a good, I, I like that. I like, it's always like a nice surprise and I'm not trying to, but it's like, that's kind of what we can do sometimes. Cause like we have four people dedicated to covering the NFL. And so sometimes when it comes to stuff like this, our NFL people are out doing stuff and we get a little bonus Ohio state cover. Like people know this, Kevin Stefanski, the Browns went to the same high school in Philadelphia as Kyle McCord. So when Kevin Stefanski got hired and Dan Lobby, our one of our other Browns writers, went to Philly to do that, he did like a little Marvin Harrison Jr. and Kyle McCord story for us. So it was like, all right, way to go with the Brown stuff. Let's talk about Caden Curry, Stephen. I didn't talk to Caden Curry at all. Defensive lineman. 
Um, as, as we said, there was like a, a, at some point you could have been like, oh, I don't know about this defensive line class. And then in the end, it turned out to be really good. Number 122 overall player in the class, edge guy, 6'3", 240 from Indiana, who got to Caden Curry on Wednesday. I talked to Caden uh, a decent amount. Um, one of the first things that popped out of his mouth that was interesting. So, I mean, we had listed him originally on our scholarship chart as a defensive tackle. He played a lot of defensive tackle in high school, although he played kind of all over the place. But he was talking about they're looking at me at Leo, or I want to take a shot at this Leo position, the, the hybrid defensive end linebacker spot. And interesting on paper, just because, again, he had played all over the place in, in high school, uh, in tackle, middle linebacker, long snapper. I think he said a little bit like just one of those guys that, at, that as is often the case, a guy who has to do a lot for um, uh, sometimes, you know, relatively smaller high schools. So uh, one of the first guys that we heard his name mentioned with associated directly with that position. But I also think that you've brought up a good point, Doug, again, you're, you're bringing in, especially defensive end talent into this program. You, you can't funnel all that probably through just one position. So some of those guys are going to have to end up being this spot, but it's a matter of which ones have the skills to do that. And at least early on, they're checking to see if Caden Curry has those skills. Caden Curry is an interesting prospect because I think he's a lot better than his ranking. And I think if he'd grown up in, you know, Texas or an SEC country, he wouldn't be 122. I think he'd be more in the 30s, um, which is uh, now I'm a little shocked that he's at Leo because I do think there's a bright future at him at three tech, kind of like with Draymond Jones. But as we've talked about before, plenty of times there's a lot of times where they bring guys in here and they start them off on the outside and at some point in their career they move him inside i wonder if that's on the table but for now it looks like he's at leo um every time someone has talked to him whether it's me anybody else or even yesterday i think that was yes yesterday um wednesday sorry he's gonna bring up the bosa name because if you ask him who he thinks he plays like it's Nick and Joey Bosa. He's been saying that basically since he's got the Ohio State offer. He wants to be a Bosa. That's always been his goal. And so that's probably also going to play a role in the why he's going to try his best to stay outside and why this probably took so long to get him committed, even though he'd been leaning towards Ohio State for a while. And Nick Bosa was the one he specifically mentioned. I mean, he kind of mentioned Bosa's and Young and everybody. Mm -hmm. Nick Bosa was the one he specifically mentioned, which I thought was interesting because, Doug, you were the one who said that maybe of all the big defensive ends that have come through here recently, that's the one that's maybe would be least the least likely fit at the Leo from what you remember. But, um, but it's still so early for a guy like him. And we, you know, who knows where he is athletically a year from now. All right, let's do corners. Nathan, you have a story up on Thursday morning at cleveland.com about Tanner McAllister, who, I mean, if Chip Trainum's a man, like Tanner McAllister is an old man. This guy has played like grandpa. Yeah. yeah, he's the grandpa of the defense. What's the deal with this guy? And the most important thing is how much what we learned on Wednesday, how did it impact your view on how much this guy's going to play in 2022? Well, I, again, as going back to our depth chart conversation, I already suspected that there was probably a, a role on the field for him based on the way that Noel set things up and I was even more convinced of that after we talked to Knowles I mean I right now if I were redoing that depth chart I would probably make him the starter at the box safety whatever you want to call it the nickel whatever um even even Knowles doesn't always have a, a like a specific designation I think title wise for it but people know what I'm talking about and I because he obviously 
he's playing kind of a dual role here. He gets to come in and be this sort of, I've referred to it as like the, the TA for Professor Knowles as he's installing this new defense. He knows the ins and outs of it. He did it all four years that Knowles is at Oklahoma State. McAllister was also at Oklahoma State. Like he, he saw the transition there and he saw it build towards what it finally was this past year, the number four defense in the country. So he gets to come in and I think to his credit has embraced that, seems to have embraced it right away. We haven't heard it from other players yet, but we've heard him and Knowles talk about it. And that, you know, I suppose he could have come in and been maybe a little bit more guarded about it or whatever and and given himself even a better shot at starting or, or leg up on the competition. But to his credit, like to be a leader and to get this team where he wants it to be because he came here to try to win, that you know he knew that helping these guys learn this defense as soon as possible was better for him, better for everybody. So he's taken that role, but he isn't just here to be a translator and to uh, be this sort of de facto assistant. He's here because he has been playing. He thinks, um, again, Noel said he thought he was going to be in, entering the draft. I asked McAllister about that. Like, did you, you didn't expect to still be playing college football right now. And he said, no, that he had everybody around him and his family. They all thought that last year was the last year. And then he got, some draft feedback that wasn't good enough. And he's back to try to do the name that popped into my head was Jeff Okuda because Jeff Okuda going into his junior year, uh, not only both from Texas, Jeff Okuda going into his junior year had the one like deficiency still in on his plate was like, not a lot of playmaking yet. Like not a lot of interceptions. Um, McAllister has one career interception out of like almost 50 career games. And that's one of the things he wants to, it's hard to predict, but he wants to maybe show some of those ball skills if he can get on the field this year. So um, I think it's a guy that's definitely going to help them. I think he's definitely going to play. I think he might be the, the starting box safety to start the year. We are throwing out some names today, boy. Bosa, Okuda, like, whew. <laughs> Hold on. I didn't compare him to Jeff Okuda as a player. I said, similarly, they both okay, had to yeah. prove themselves. I do not think there is much comparison between them as football players at this point. Oh, man. So, like, how can I be, like, super excited about Chip Trainum, who's <laughs> never played linebacker in college, and be skeptical of Tanner McAllister, who's played safety in this exact defense for, like, three seasons? But there is part of me, Nathan, where it's like, well, you know, he thought he might go pro, and then he got his draft uh, information, and it was terrible, and he's like, I guess I'll go to Ohio State. And it's like, oh, <laughs> well, that's exactly what they need. Like, I'm not trying to be, like – dismissive of that but a guy who's like oh they're getting this guy who who's hoping to come here so he can become a fifth round pick is like well what is that i mean what is i mean this is a place like the ohio state has like superstars sprinkled through their secondary on a regular basis in their defense and like shouldn't they be trying to play somebody who might be a second round pick like why is that wrong i'm sure i'm wrong no you're i think you're 100 right and i think again we're talking about what I would project today, but I think would Ohio State be better if, um, well, it, w- it won't be Lathan Ransom, I don't think, because he's not going to be healthy again until the fall. But if like if Cam Martinez showed up this spring and was like, no, I'm I'm better than Tanner McAllister. Like if someone proves that to, that they're better than Tanner McAllister and deserves that spot, would that make Ohio State better? Yes, I think that makes Ohio State obviously better. But I'm I'm skeptical of that right now as I'm sitting here that he might just be the one who has the most, not only just experience in this system, um, but I mean, he had been starting at Oklahoma State. It wasn't like he's coming in as just a scrub from Oklahoma State, but had not been 
but also was not like all Big 12 caliber, academic all Big 12, but not like on the field, all conference caliber at Ohio's, Oklahoma State after four years. So I, 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 I'll say the same thing that I said the day that he committed, which is like, I don't think people should expect him to come in here and be like a star. But I think it's also a situation where like, if, if you look at it as like, just this is what I said, that if, if someone can beat him out, that's good. But I don't think he's a bad option. Can he be what Jonah Jackson was on the offensive line in 2019? Can Jonah Jackson that? just got named to the Pro Bowl, man. Yeah, no, I understand but, that. But wasn't nobody thinking about him being a third round pick when he showed up at Ohio State? Nobody no, thought that. he was he was he all was, Big Ten at Rutgers. He was all Big Ten at Rutgers. His first team all Big Ten at Rutgers. Yeah, I think he no. was he was I think he was more established. Maybe second team all Big Ten. Yeah, he was first team all Big Ten at Ohio State in 2019. What was he at Rutgers? It doesn't have him as anything. I you're the one who's like yelling about throwing guys out. Jonah Jackson is like a Jonah Jackson is like the like second most successful an old man who showed right, but at the the concept at the time is he's an old man plug and play player. And that's what Tanner McAllister's coming here to be when he. No, it was not the concept that, that Jonah Jackson was going to come in here and be a superstar. Now, he ended up being a lot better and ended up being a third round pick. And now he's a pro bowl. Yes, all those things. But at the time when he got here, no one was thinking that that's what was going to happen here, that he was he was a fifth year senior coming to a program to try to win a national championship as a plug and play player. And that's exactly if what Tanner McAllister, McAllister is. He was if, all honorable mention, all Big Ten. At yeah. Rutgers, not first or if, second team, my bad. If Tanner McAllister comes here and has the Jonah Jackson season of box safeties, then Ohio State's in great shape. That's the best case. All I'm saying is that's best case scenario. I don't think that's the scenario, but point I'd be, taken. I'd be, I wouldn't quite, yeah, I wouldn't put my expectations that high, only because, again, nothing to do with Tanner McAllister. I just think that's almost a slight to Jonah Jackson. How is it a slight to Jonah Jackson when nobody expected him to be that when he first got here? I think everybody expected him to come start, though. That's not we're talking about Tanner McAllister, like the expectation is for him to come start, though. Okay, that's your comparison. It's not mine. That's fine. Steven's comparison is Jonah Jackson. If you're right, we'll come back in a podcast and say that you were genius six months from now and your Jonah Jackson comparison was right on. That's not where my mind goes. Is Jonah Jackson the best offensive lineman at Ohio State? Since You're speaking about it after you've seen what he be. Okay, the problem. Okay, you guys are speaking about it after we've seen what he actually did at Ohio State. I'm talking about when he actually showed up before he actually played a meaningful snap of college football for Ohio State. Okay, this is Steven's very angry comparison. I'm not angry. Steven it's is just, angry. I, oh, yeah, you, you have an edge in your voice. You have an edge in your voice. Angry. This is your this is your comparison. It's fine. Steven has made you've made your point. You think this is a comparison to Jonah Jackson? You might be right. I don't agree with it, but maybe that's it's a right. little more like Trey Sermon. You mean the guy who broke the record even in the, on the incoming, for rushing yards on the in the incoming big side? Okay. Yeah, on the incoming side of it. If you're talking about the incoming side of it, I think of it more like Trey Sermon, a guy who there's flashes of something there, but it's never been proven over a long period. And but I would even disagree with. I mean, but Tanner McAllister isn't about flashes. Tanner McAllister has been like a solid, good, like, hasn't he yeah. played a lot? It's almost one of these things. Again, it, it sounds backwards, but I'm almost more interested in less established guys. Cause I don't exactly know what Chip Trainum can do because he hasn't done it. I feel like 
we know what Tanner McAllister is in this exact role, which is good. It's good. But I don't know is like, should Ohio State be shooting higher for that, you know, at, at that position? Because again, yeah. Jonah Jackson was also at Rutgers, surrounded by Rutgers players. And like, you didn't know what he was going to do. Like the offensive line is very cohesive. All of a sudden you get surrounded by better guys and every, it can make you look better. Tanner, Tanner McAllister is like coming like to do the exact same thing he just did, which he was good at. He was good. But I do wonder if we've seen the ceiling of Tanner McAllister. Like that's something yes. that's a little bit on his shoulders to prove this year. Like, are you, you're, you're a good player. You're a good player who can help teams win games, but are, are, is there something more in you? Because right. the NFL draft grades, grades you just got apparently said they don't think there is. Right. So again, I mean, I get I, I, to, like good. It's good for Ohio state that he's on the roster, but I think the thing you said about like, Hey, if somebody beats him out, that's good. But if not, then they have this guy who knows how to do it and has done it before. And, you know, it's, it's, it's good to have him around. I think it'll be interesting to watch. Um, it is always interesting to watch where it's the thing we talk about all the time of like, you have an established guy, but you have young guys in the pipeline coming up and then are they good enough to beat him out? And then do you lean towards the younger talent or do you lean towards the older established guy? And it's a conversation, constant conversation around this program and on this podcast. It's just that Tanner McAllister, like Ohio States has like veteran starters come back. I mean, he's tough Borland. Like he's a good player who knows what he's doing and has played for a long time. All anybody at Ohio state ever wanted was someone to beat out tough Borland. Right. I mean, everybody listening to this podcast did, it's like he's solid. He's solid. He knows how to do his job. But is he the top end athlete? It's just because like we're thinking about him as a new guy, but but actually he's the old guy. Everybody else on the roster is the new guy. So it's it's like a it it there's no exact comparison because he's the only one who's actually played in this defense before. But but trying to watch someone beat him out, I think will be an interesting thing all spring and all August. All right. The other two corners, Ryan Turner and Jair Brown, this is the thing that I was most interested in the way these two guys talk, because they both kind of talked about it. But Ryan Turner, I think, talked about it a lot, especially, is the idea of any corner wanting to come to Ohio State because of Ohio State's reputation in developing cornerbacks for the NFL. But that entire reputation is tied to one person who is no longer here. So when you say, when Ryan Turner says, I wanted to come here because I saw guys go to the league, you know, Jair Brown loves Marshawn Lattimore, right? They love, they know, and then they're recruited by Kerry Combs. They know the Kerry Combs cornerback history. And that was very appealing to them. But we had a big conversation on the Wednesday college football survivor show that is free to everybody about coaches and their reputation and how your reputation gets wrapped up with the school. And when the coach leaves, like who keeps the reputation? Like Jimbo Fisher won a national championship at Florida state. Jimbo Fisher left and he took all the reputation with him to Texas A&M. Texas A&M just landed the top two players in the state of Florida in this recruiting class. And Florida state can't figure out how to recruit anybody anymore. So Jimbo Fisher at a time, it's like, Hey, he replaced Bobby Bowden. They're melded. He leaves. It all goes with him. Lincoln Riley developed something at Oklahoma. He's a quarterback guru and an offensive genius. 
He leaves, that all left with him to Oklahoma. Brent Venables, Clemson had four defensive guys decommit the minute Brent Venables took the Oklahoma job. Because if you were a defensive player who wanted to go play for Clemson, you wanted to go play for Brent Venables. And if he's not going to be there, you're not just like, "Ah, I love Dabo, I'm going to stay. At least four top guys did that. Steven, I'm super interested in the long-term implications of this. Because when you hear the guys who are here now talk about it, it's like, I want to come be part of this pipeline. But is the pipeline reputation going to stay with Ohio State or did Kerry Combs take it with him to Cincinnati? Not that Cincinnati will be able to recruit at the same level when in trying to get corners as Ohio State. But I'm very I'm really curious to see how this looks with the next class of guys who are not involved with Kerry Combs at all. I think we would have seen it as happily not left because it's not even about the, what he did with Jeff Kuda. It's the fact that he turned Damon Arnett into a first rounder. Um, so I do think a lot of it is going to be on what Perry Eliano and Tim Walton do with Denzel Birch, Kalen Johnson and Jordan Hancock. I think those are going to be good examples of like, all right, can this continue? If, if one, if two of those guys, and I won't even say first rounders, if all three of those guys end up being top 60 picks, then Ohio State's good. That reputation isn't going to go away because Kerry Combs is gone. So I, that, that, those three are the, are the petri gist with these two d- defensive back, especially Tim Walton, since he's actually going to be the one who's coaching the cornerbacks. So, because they're still young, Denzel Burke is the only one who's really played meaningful snaps. So it's almost a question we can't answer until after the 2023 season when at least Denzel Burke will probably be going pro and maybe one other one. So it's almost, I would say that Ohio State's DBU, cornerback U reputation doesn't need to extend. It needs to kind of reignite. I, I did a piece in April 2020 kind of breaking down who who deserves that DBU title. Because like LSU is trying to claim it. Florida is trying to claim it. Alabama is trying to claim it. OSU is trying to throw their name in. And at the time, I think that the, the um, I came down to LSU is probably the most deserving of it right now. But Ohio State's coming. Like they're right on the verge because Jeff Okuda just got drafted third overall. Damon Arnett's going in the first round. And what's happened since then? Like Jeff Okuda's played 10 games in the NFL. He's been injured a lot. Damon Arnett's career has imploded in on itself. Sean Wade is not really a cornerback and that that's not happening. And there just has seemed to have been a, a hole there. Now Denzel Burke's coming, but, and maybe these young guys turn into something, but Ohio state needs to regain some traction before other people are passing it up or that, or that gap is widening as to who, whether, how much they deserve to even claim that DBU right now they're, they're losing ground in that race. That may be a whole nother podcast we should do sometime. So Ryan Turner is a guy from Florida. He said, he did say like, I love Ryan day. And he thought that Ryan day like really cared about him. And that that was a big impact that, you know, he, he wanted to come here to be part of the quarterback pipeline, but he really had that relationship with Ryan day. And this is one of those, this is a kid in the three hundreds in Florida. And he said like Clemson was like a really close second for him. So this is Steven, like this is, this is the kind of stuff that matters, right? That this is not Ryan Turner's on a top 100 guy. He's like a good player at an important position. Number 346 overall at Ohio state went head to head with Clemson for this guy and won. And he's here. And that's a reminder of like, some, sometimes I think the most interesting thing in recruiting is like, who'd you beat to get the guy you want? And they beat Clemson for a kid in Florida. And 
That's a reminder of the things that like you do if you want to try to win national titles. That's all that matters, regardless of what his ranking is. Another national power wanted him, and he's honestly didn't have to come here. He's from Florida. He's probably never seen snow before in his life, and he came here anyway, based off of the reputation Ohio State has. And it's not even really about him. It's the fact that like a kid from Florida did this. So what does that mean the next time? Even if you lost Jaheim Singletary, what happens when the next Jaheim Singletary comes up from Florida? Maybe you hold on to that guy, too, just because of that reputation, especially, as Nathan said, if they can reignite that DBU, BIA, whatever they want to call it. So he said um, Cam Brown and Legend Cavazos have been very helpful to him since he got here. He cited the Jalen Ramsey stuff with Tim Walton, the Tim Walton coach Jalen Ramsey and the pros and Jalen Ramsey said Tim Walton's one of the best coaches he ever had. And it is interesting, Stephen, the way this unfolded, they wound up getting two, Ohio State in this class got two players from Shamadad, Madonna Prep in Hollywood, Florida. They got Ryan Turner, and they also got Kenyatta Jackson. And Ryan Turner was like, yeah, I think I, you know, I kind of got Kenyatta to do it here. So, I mean, that's always helpful. I mean, you know, you get two guys from the same school, two super talented guys who come up and do it together. Who Who was the actual linchpin in getting both of those guys i mean larry johnson is why kenyatta jackson is coming here that's pretty plain it's not ryan turner ryan turner was like it was all me man i mean it probably helps that you've got your teammate and your friend in your ear every day when you're trying to go to class talking about coming to ohio state come to ohio state but that's fine at all but if larry johnson is not here then kenyatta jackson's not at ohio state so i'll give larry johnson is one but it's a strong two for ryan turner I like right. I like Ryan Turner a lot. Like seems like a really good guy. Again, wants to play early and um, a interesting mix of young corners here. And the other guy in that mix is Jair Brown. Um, J- you you've talked to Jair Brown a decent amount, Stephen, right? Over the oh, course yeah. of this thing, yeah. yeah. What, what was what's your impression of that guy? That New Orleans accent is strong, especially over the phone. Um, yeah, it's it, it. going back to the Kerry Combs thing, the relationship he built with Kerry Combs from day one made him the first guy in the class when he was still living down in New Orleans. Um, that time that basically spending the bulk of his life in New Orleans is what turned him into the cornerback. He is, you know, he's a skill position guy. He he can cover really well. He, I've, I've seen him play in, in a game. I've also seen him at some camps. He gives off strong Damon Arnett vibes like 2019 Damon Arnett vibes, though, not the, you know, grab, hold you, pass interference guy from 18, 17, 16, and 15. I think his size, he can, I think he could play in that nickel position if they needed to be, especially since now we know that it's more of a corner body type that can play there, but he can also play outside. Um, he moved back to Ohio to play at Cincinnati with Tegra Chishabola at Lake, Lake Lakota West High School in Cincinnati for his last two years of high school. So he's kind of used to the weather up here, but I do feel like the relationship with Kerry Combs got him here, but I do think he is the only cornerback in that room who has a relationship with these uh, new assistant coaches because Perry Eliano did recruit him when he was at Cincinnati. Number 200 player in the class. Uh, again, he said he's at around 172 or 173 and they'd like him up to 180 yeah. by the spring. So he's got a little weight to put on. Interesting mix. Again, born in Cincinnati, moved to New Orleans when he was three, moved back to Cincinnati for his last two years of high school. Said he had a dad who had him working on football stuff at a young age. And it was his dad who like suggested that like you flip the corner and um, 
smart dads, man. Like this is like, this is, that's the money spot for a lot of these guys. So like, I just like a lot of uh, like smart guy, like knows what he wants. Mm -hmm. I think knows a lot about how to play defense and is a super interesting guy as a, he's both of the North and the South when it comes to football that he had the Ohio roots, which we know you're always on alert for when Ohio state recruits, but he, I mean, he's truly a new Orleans kid moved there when he was three, but then decided to come back and play his last two years of high school football in Ohio. And he was saying that like in Ohio, it's sort of more about like the team sport and you work on special teams and whatever. And he felt like in Louisiana, there was just like a lot of stuff was more like one-on-one skill position stuff. And he said he really learned a lot and grew as a player through seven on seven, which is no surprise, Steven. That's what all these guys say, but it's like, mm-hmm. he's, he is a, uh, a kid who's like, as an, hasn't, it's not like Garrett Wilson, like you have like an Ohio investment, but then you go down and you grow up in football, testing yourself against the best athletes in the country on a daily basis. Cause there's just more of them in Louisiana and Texas and Florida and Georgia than there are in Ohio. There are those guys in Ohio too, but there's more down there. Uh, it's a great mix for Ohio state, Steven. Like it is, it is, I, this is, these are like the, it's like if you could build almost like an ideal Ohio State recruit, it's almost like farming. It's like, okay, um, let's have them be born in Ohio, get the Ohio State stuff in their blood, and then send them to SEC country for a decade so they can practice that kind of thing. And then it's almost like you guys watch the Americans. Who You guys watch the Americans when it was on? It's like that. It's like the Russians, they don't just send a spy. They send you when you're 20 to come live in America. Oh, my God. Just have feeder schools in Los Angeles, Austin, Texas, uh, New Orleans, and like Miami. And when they turned 14, it's like, all right, you're going to high school at this school, and we'll see you in four years. Can you imagine if Mark Pantone gathered the 20 most athletic five-year-old boys in Ohio and then asked their families to move to Florida and Georgia and Louisiana and Texas and California. And but don't fall in love while you're down there. You can't right, fall but, in love. But that's the thing. You you adopt, just like in the Americans, right? Yeah. They adopted the American lifestyle, but then you have to have like secret meetings with your Russian handler. They'd be meeting Pantone on park benches and like giving like secret signals. And it's like Pantone would be reminding them. He'd bring them like little, uh, little Buckeye candies, right? And bring them. I don't know, Skyline Chili, whatever the heck people, terrible square cut pizza so that people, but they go out there and they'd be drilling against all these, these players from there. But then when it was time, they'd come back. I'm the, are we sure? So he moved there when he was three. He's like 18 now. So that was like 15 years ago. So Pantone wasn't here 15 years ago. This is a good, this would be a, like, is, is it too much, Nathan, to try to compare college football recruiting to Russia and the United States spying on each other during the Cold War is at the point we're at right now. Yes, it's too far to compare that. People needed to see the face that Nathan made when he was asked that question. Doug basically just wrote the handbook on how to get the death penalty as a college football program. We had our things going down here in Texas, young Ohio football man. I, my, Pantone wouldn't have to do the Russian accent when he's doing it because that wouldn't make any sense. But I don't think Pantone would ever talk to us again if we actually threw that idea. You, at him. you must move too far. So, but it, but Stephen, but it happened by accident. Yeah, that this guy who's got Ohio in his blood and then finished it off in Ohio and like wants to be a Buckeye, but also by the way, it was close with LSU because he really likes, you know, 
Derek Stingley and he really likes, mm-hmm. you know, what LSU, there's some good LSU were saying, Nathan, it's like, Hey, it's a corner who's half Ohio, half Louisiana. And it's like, well, those are like the two schools like fighting to be DBU. Ohio State got this guy back. Steven, I like this. Like, I like the guy, but I like the background. And he wants to play early too, but the training, and listen, Ryan Turner's down there in Florida doing the same thing. Like, listen, I mean, you know, they've been playing corner against really good guys for a while. So listen, there's a lot of good young corners here and Jordan Hancock and Kalen Johnson are a year older, but I like Jair Brown, man. He's definitely the extreme of the concept of finding the guys with Ohio roots. Cause even Garrett, I think he was in like seventh grade when they moved to Texas and Donovan Jackson moved to Texas right before he went to high school. Um, I do. I'll say this though. If Jair Brown were, if this were a last year and Jair Brown had gotten here last year and he'd have been out there as a starter for the Minnesota game, that would have made a lot more sense instant reaction than Denzel mm. Burke just because he's been playing corner his entire life while Denzel Burke's been playing corner for 15 minutes. But different scenario this year, so probably not going to happen. He did say, uh, he said uh, he was playing offense like when he was nine years old and scoring touchdowns all the time, and they started calling him the real deal and that that's his nickname, the real deal. I like this guy. But then he switched to corner because he knows that's that's where that's where his business yeah, time because he's six foot one eight hundred and eighty pounds and that's a so beautiful he, size for a corner. <laughs> he's got a little he's got to get a little bigger, but he, yeah. he can play press man. He he knows what he's doing out there. He's smart. He he's played high oh, level football. And I'm, quick I'm story. Quick more story. <laughs> Since you brought up the press man thing, so last spring I was out at the um, Army All American uh, uh, camp. And when they had it in Columbus and he's up here and they obviously go through different drills and stuff. There is a part of the drill that's press man. And there's a part of the drill where it's off coverage. And for like the first 30 minutes, they were only playing off coverage and he was still trying to sneak in press man until they called him. And so he popped an attitude. and was just like, why am I here then if we're not playing press man? So he just didn't do the drill at all. He just sat out. And then maybe like 15 minutes after they started doing press man and he moved everybody out the way. I said, no, I'm going first. This is my time. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's a that's a DB attitude. I love that. So, yeah, he only wants to play press man. And that's that's like a, Denzel Burke's got a little bit of that, too. Yes. right? Like Denzel Burke is like, all right, everybody get out of the way. I'm going to do yes. this now. So if Jair Brown is on the Denzel Burke path, that's a very uh, interesting idea. Again, Jordan Hancock and Kalen Johnson mm-hmm. and Cam Brown are going to have something to say about that. But Nathan, the bottom line is. It might not be instantaneous. It's easy on a February pod after we just talked about these guys to think like, hey, we talked to 13 guys and they're all going to play in their first season. And that's not how it's going to be. But this cornerback room needed to be rebuilt and it's being rebuilt a little bit. Right. I mean, like, it's again, these guys aren't ranked. They're they're not top 100 players like Jordan Hancock and Jaquelin Johnson. But I, you can see a little bit of like how maybe somebody in this group might pop. Sure. And I think what's, if I'm an athlete, what's maybe the most intriguing is I'm coming in at the same time these coaches are coming in. There's no presupposed notions, especially in the secondary. Like you're, you're getting to start fresh. You're getting to start off on not the same experience level as everyone else, but the same like evaluation plane as everyone else, you know, there, and nothing is sort of owed to anybody more than it's owed to you. And we just saw last year, and again, the circumstances played into it. The fact that Seven Banks and and Cam Brown were not fully healthy to start the year obviously opened things up for Denzel Burke to do what he did. But 
we also saw that really for the first time, maybe Ohio State was more open to playing freshmen in important ways. And certainly starting a freshman on opening night is not something we really thought we would see even with someone as, as potentially talented as Burke. So maybe like the combination of those te- things, like the, the, the philosophy in the program might've changed slightly, but then you're also, again, new guys coming in. Steven's got, has some, uh, uh, some power glitches. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> I really can't right have now. my power go out again, man. I, I, I hate living in the short North. I was, right I was asking my, uh, my wife to make sure, do, do we have candles? Because this freezing rain is starting to stack up on these lines, I bet. Anyway, uh, the, the philosophy in the program changing, the new people coming in with fresh eyes. I mean, it, it's to getting to evaluate all the talent on that same level. I don't know. I just think it, it does make it likely or possible that these guys could get on the field as freshmen. And so, and listen, we got to take all this kind of stuff with a grain of salt. But Will Johnson was the number one recruit in Michigan's class. He's the number three corner in the country. He's from Michigan, number 14 overall player. Ohio State was in on him for a while. And I got some possible impression of maybe Ohio State. Like, it's like every time you lose a recruit, it's like, oh, we didn't want it. I'm not exactly saying that, but like with Heartline at this point, it's like, ah, whatever the rankings are, it's like Heartline's like these four guys, this guy, this guy, like, I don't care whether they're 111 or 26 or 189, him, 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 and him. If Will Johnson was in this class for Ohio State, we'd like, boom, boom, shakalaka, here we go. It's all like, they're back. The room is set. They got another five-star guy. I think it's possible, Stephen, that Ohio State in the end liked these two guys, Ryan Turner and Jair Brown, as much as they liked Will Johnson. And that's not, listen, we go by recruiting rankings all the time. So you can't pick and choose when to use it and say, when they get a top-ranked guy, we care. When they don't get a top-ranked guy, we say, oh, they like the lower-ranked guy anyway. But like that's in my head a little bit that I think maybe if they had gone all in for Will Johnson to the bitter end, they might have had it. I mean, Kerry Combs, we Kerry Combs has worked Michigan before. They maybe would have had a shot at getting him, but I think they liked something about these two guys, and especially Jair Brown, who we said has been in this forever. I may apply that more to Damani Jackson than Will Johnson because he's also the son of a Michigan player. So, I mean, I don't like him ending up at Michigan is just not the biggest surprise. Damani seemed yeah. like he was headed here for a little bit. I think Hartline and Kerry Combs are the are the only and Larry Johnson. I'll, wow, those three guys right now are the only peep assistant coaches from last year where you're just okay with them being like, "Here are my three guys. I do not care about their rankings, right? Because they've proven it. Everybody else, you can be a little bit more stickly with the rankings, but those guys have proven enough over the time where it's like he'll go get like Brian Hartline to go get Jackson Smith the jig, but when he's in the three hundreds, well. Look what he's doing right now. Kerry Combs has turned Denzel Ward and, you know, the Jeff Okudas of the world in the first rounders. And Larry Johnson is Larry Johnson. Everybody else needs to prove it. So, yeah, that's why you're fine with you lost Terrence Brooks because of Texas, but then also Kerry Combs is gone. But you're fine with, you know, the idea that they see something in Ryan Turner and Jair Brown that they're going to probably outplay. At least one of those guys will outplay what their ranking is. And again, in the end, Jair Brown is in Louisiana, intrigued by LSU, develops mm-hmm. a relationship with Kerry Combs. He's the first guy in the class, and he moves to Ohio. 
I don't know yeah. exactly how that went down. I'm sure it's like, hey, we have this kid with Ohio roots who also likes LSU and lives in New Orleans. What should we do? It's like, can you get him to move to Ohio? It's like, actually, it. yes, we can. <laughs> so like that was a thing. And again, they beat LSU for a kid who at the time was in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So whatever the ranking is, that's a big win. They beat Clemson for a Florida kid. Whatever the ranking is, that's a big win. I think the idea that, again, that the, their two corners were wanted by – their second choices were LSU and Clemson. That that matters at least a little bit. All right, we'll wrap this up. But one more guy next on Buckeye Talk. All right, again, eight defensive players we're running through here. Kai Stokes is the last one. Safety, I did not talk to him at all. Steven, you had like a 45-minute conversation with him, hanging yeah. out like you guys were at the coffee shop. So I assume you will take us through the ins and outs of Kai Stokes. Yeah, so the first thing I wanted to ask him off the bat is how a player can get an offer on, and then seven days later commit to a school. And he basically broke down how that happened. Um, Tony Offert was the first person to make contact with him because um, he probably has an area recruiting there. And he asked him and his parents, am I allowed to recruit you? Which kind of caught everybody off guard because that's not how you're like asking permission to recruit somebody. You're Ohio State. You're just going to recruit that person. Um, and so that that approach right there really turned them on to Ohio State. And then they did their necessary research over the next week, whether it was seeing the development they do for defensive backs, especially at safety. You know, how many players do they lose to the transfer portal? What's the depth chart going to look like? How many safeties are going to play? Exactly which position at the, of these three safeties do you want me to play? At the time, it was cover safety. We'll see what it's end up getting called now. So he did all that research. And then six days later, he's like, yeah, this is where I want to go. He committed, shut it down, came for an official visit, and now he's at Ohio State. And now that he's here, his big brother in the Ohio State Big Brother program that Urban Meyer started when he came is Ronnie Hickman. But from how he talks, Josh Proctor might as well be his little brother. They kind of look alike. They have similar builds, and they play the exact same way. And he says everybody in the locker room is already calling him Mini Proctor. And so, I mean, Josh Proctor spent some time being like that, you know, coverage safety in 2020 before he finally got a chance to be the free safety. This guy can play any of the three safety positions, but it seems like right now they want him to be that coverage guy. Number 356 overall player in the class, number 43 player in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen, man, you know, Nathan, it's really, they got to go get Florida guys. There are a couple Florida guys in here that that, that matters. There have been times when they've been really heavy in Florida. There were there have been times when they haven't been as heavy in Florida. Ryan Day, you know, did a lot of Florida recruiting um, in his time as an assistant, and I, I I think that matters here. Like, go get some guys. And again, they're not they didn't get the best player in Florida. They, those guys went to Texas Texas A M, but. The, this matters. Like it matters a little bit where guys are coming from. And I thought this was like a nice Florida class for Ohio state. No, I think it is important. And I think, and it's, I'm going to be interested to see how that carries through because Kerry Combs was also big in Florida. He's pulled some really impressive guys, especially as DBs out of Florida over the past ever, like decade, how long he's been here, Um, Florida, Georgia, that that sort of area. And Ohio state's going to have to keep that going. So um you know, where does Tim Walton, the time he spent in Florida, help them keep that going? Uh, has Perry Eliano done that sort of thing in Florida before? Um, I think all of them have to some extent, but now it's, 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 as we've talked about before, it's just got a bit of a different reach because you're, you're going in for different guys than you've necessarily recruited before. But I think it is going to be important because, um, I mean, just simply that's where the best players are. You can't, you can't do this 
on Ohio State guy on Ohio guys alone. Th- those guys will always be there for Ohio State, but the separation to make them a national champion comes from what they do in those other really just a handful of states. Three Florida guys in the class. Again, it's it's remarkable. It's a weird, um, a weird situation in Florida recruiting right now, and it goes back to and Ohio State take, takes tries to take advantage when there are some openings. Both Florida and Miami fired their head coaches this offseason. And Mike Norvell, we did on the on the the most recent college football survivor show, like the underachievers and overachievers in recruiting. Florida State is the number one underachiever to me. They they've been awful. They can't they can't keep they can't get kids in their own state. And so Kenyatta Jackson, the uh, guy we we're talking about, who is the high school teammate of Ryan Turner. Uh, he is the number 13 overall player in the state of Florida. But, you know, Georgia's doing a lot of stuff down there. Alabama, as always, is doing stuff down there. Penn State got a couple good players out of Florida. Michigan got a kid. Sometimes it's confusing because they link they, they they list the IMG kids as Florida kids. Where some, they're, a lot of times they're really not. Like they get yeah. locked up with the school before they go to IMG. Then they're at IMG for one year. And it's like, well, the kid's from Michigan or whatever, and he went img but he's really a michigan kid so anyway sometimes the florida rankings are a little jacked up but florida's a mess i think mario cristobal at miami especially is going to get it together and maybe billy napier at florida too steven so you know ohio state finds the openings there was at least a little bit of an opening in this class three florida guys i don't know how sustainable that will be but uh well done for this group i think yeah, they got the job done. It reopened the door that had been closed since Kerry Combs is gone. You know, I think Kai Stokes is. I think that's a that they might hit on that one. You know, because I just think they might hit on that one. Yeah, but this is a good start. Now let's see if the combination of Tim Walton spending time down there in Florida, even if he was in the NFL and not necessarily on the recruiting trail, along with Perry Eliano's reputation because of what he did last year at Cincinnati, keeps that door open or not. You know, especially because they're defensive backs and you know, Mario Cristobal and, and Billy Napier both offensive coaches. Right. Oh, that's a good point. Um, and like Manny, Manny Diaz, who was a defensive coach, who was the guy who got fired at Miami before Cristobal. Well, he had like he's getting a lot better. He's getting a better done better than Florida State was. I think like Manny Diaz fair. probably probably looked at Mike Norvell and was like, "How is that guy yeah. keeping his job?" And I'm fired. So, um, okay. Anything else, Nathan? We're wrapping it up. That's again, uh, 13 players that we talked to. On Wednesday, it was a nice session to dig to hang out with those guys um, a little bit after the earlier session of the week where we got to interview the four new assistant coaches. What uh, anything we didn't cover, anything you want to wrap up with? You know, maybe one thing that we didn't mention because we were talking about the the turnover of the coaching staff was Caden Curry saying that you know, he had heard the rumors everyone else had heard, or not even rumors, just the speculation like, hey, when is Larry Johnson going to retire? And like back in December, Larry Johnson told him, I ain't going anywhere, and he didn't. Yeah, that's what the players were telling recruits too. He wasn't going nowhere. That's what the the current players yeah. were telling recruits. No, they'll, they'll tell them recruits that now that they don't think he's going anywhere. So we'll have this dance again next December when the rumors, when the speculation comes back up of this. This is Larry Johnson's last year, but as of right now, these twenty twenty three guys have, are from how they're they're talking to some of the players when they've had the chance to. They think Larry's going to be here for a little bit. Okay. Let's wrap up with this. Jim Harbaugh is staying at Michigan. Again, we were talking about, like, I think the the NFL draft decision of players and how it's like they're not coming back to Ohio State. They're staying at Ohio State. People are like, he's coming back to Michigan. It's like he's coming back to Michigan from his interview in Minnesota. Um, 
He flies Tuesday night. He leaves Michigan. He gets to Minnesota. He interviews all day Wednesday, which is National Signing Day. All the reporting going into it is like, hey, it feels like this maybe is going to happen. And then the report from Adam Schefter comes out Wednesday night, like Jim Harbaugh has told Michigan he's staying. And like two minutes later, the report is out. The Vikings have zeroed in on Kevin O'Connell, the, the one of the offensive assistants for the Los Angeles Rams as their guy. Harbaugh was like one of four finalists. And it's like, how would that happen? It's like, well, you go to interview, you think at the end of the interview, they're going to offer you the job. They don't offer you the job. You're like, oh, you're not offering me the job. Uh, I withdraw. And then they're like, okay, well, cool. It wasn't going to be you anyway. So you withdraw before you can be turned down. What's the effect, Nathan? I mean, this, I like if he had been offered, if the Vikings at the end of the interview had said, Jim, we're offering you the job. He would have said yes. I'm not reporting that. I haven't talked. Of course, he would have said yes. You don't fly there on National Signing Day and then say no. And he didn't sit in that. Hold on. It's not even that he flew. It's not even that he flew on National Signing Day. He also told all of his assistant coaches, "I'm giving you the week off." Yeah, I mean, and people were reporting <laughs> that like, yeah, he was saying goodbyes and thank yous or whatever yeah. on Monday, according to some reports. So it's like this guy was ready to go if he got the offer, and now. Again, Adam Schefter was like, oh, he, he also reportedly told Michigan, like, I'm, I'm not going to keep doing this. I'll be the coach of Michigan as long as you'll have me, which feels like the kind of thing you say. Like, after you have an affair to your spouse, I'm not going to do this again. I'll be your spouse as long as you'll have me. It's fine. People interview for jobs. I get it. Is there any fallout from this, Nathan? Do you think this has any effect on the Michigan football program? Or on the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry or the Big Ten? Or like, what does it matter? Or he just interviewed and now he's back and it's all good. I mean, I think actions are going to speak a lot louder than words here going forward. And this has been a thing that's been hanging over Michigan for several years now. It's like, how committed is Harbaugh to Michigan? How committed is Michigan to Harbaugh? We just went through this dance last year and it culminated with nobody in the NFL really having any interest in Jim Harbaugh and him having to take a pay cut and an incentivated deal to come back and so now again like it, does this all come up again in another year and even though he's saying that it's it's not that, that does this flirtation continue or is he really committed to like you know digging in because obviously they had a breakthrough this year but i think as ohio state has seen it ain't easy to stay there you're always one loss away you know it, it's we we talk too often about like where you're trying to get like one of the four playoff spots. No, you're really trying to get like one spot. Like everybody in the big 10 is really probably competing for like one spot. It's not easy to get there and they have some things to fix. They have to go find another defensive coordinator who, after just losing a guy who uh, to use uh, chip trade uh terminology, revolutionized things for them a little bit. So how do you sustain that? How do you f- keep that going? I, it's, I just until I actually see actions where it looks like he is committed and is really in it, uh, I'm I'm a little bit skeptical. And I think then you're going to have recruits that are skeptical. You're going to have current players who are skeptical. Like, where's the buy-in? That's my biggest wonder. What does how does this impact that 2023 recruiting class? Right now, they've got mm-hmm. four commits and they're 12th nationally. One's a top 100 recruit, and the other ones are in the 300s and the 500s. Did this like rub some of them, maybe their top targets the wrong way? Because not so much that he flirted with an NFL job. That happens. This is this, like you said, this is a business. But the way he kind of went about it 
and how some of the stuff that was reported was going on, did a lot of those kids and their parents feel rubbed the wrong way and it doesn't backfire. And all of a sudden they've got a class that's ranked like 67th in the country because of it. It's the kind of thing that would never happen in college football because college football doesn't have any rules about hiring anybody. And you could just like, everything's a backroom deal. And like, yeah. I think it's Ralph Russo, the AP college football writer always says is like, you never, however you say it, like you never say you're interested in a job in a job until you have it. Like mm-hmm. the college football, like people don't get turned down for jobs because it's like you never officially, they don't officially like interview people like that. Mm-hmm. Like, but the NFL has like rules and, and practices they have to follow. And so they make the interviews very public and Jim Harbaugh had to go through this process, but certainly in the reporting mm-hmm. uh, multiple places since then, it's there d- definitely seems like Jim Harbaugh was going there thinking he was getting offered the job. And Minnesota was like, no, you are coming here as one of four candidates to go through the interview process. And if he got to the end and was like, okay, where do I sign? And they were like, what are you talking about? We've got to, we've got to make our decision now. And it was like, well, so that's probably like a misread by him. And I do think you guys are, it'll be interesting to see what the fallout is. I think it's possible. There's none. Cause almost like this is where the Harbaugh-ness of it all, like comes into play where it's like, Oh, what, what do you mean? Like if he like say he gets asked about it at the Big Ten Media Days in July, it's like Jim, how do you think interviewing for an NFL job may have affected the perception of your loyalty to Michigan, and does that have any effect on your recruiting? And what's his answer going to be? Uh, what no, do you mean? No, 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 no. I, I don't know what you mean. I'm a loyal. What, what is loyalty? What is loyalty? You know, when I was in when I was in third grade. John and I used to go down to the corner store and then they opened up another store across the street and the bubblicious at that store was 20 cents instead of 25 cents. So we loved our first store. I think it was called McGee's. Oh, old Mr. McGee down at the cash register. But then we went across the street. Wouldn't you want to save a nickel on bubblicious? So what is loyalty? It's like, all right, fine. I just, I'm never going to ask you a question again. I'm angry like, about it. And he'll say, thank you. Yeah, no, he'll be. So yeah. Oh, no, Jim Harbaugh doesn't get to answer questions yeah. from me anymore. But it's like it won't even be like a human answer that you that like. Yeah. It, it'll just be like, I don't understand what you mean. And it'll be like, fine. And that like it'll probably serve him well. And everybody will move on and decide whether or not to write the Bubblicious story. All right. We will be back Monday with something. I don't know what. We're doing Buckeye Talk. We talk, we talk about football, you know, talk about recruiting, talk about basketball. We'll work it out. Um, stay safe, everybody, if you're getting iced out. Uh, and thanks for making Buckeye Talk part of your week. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.